Welcome to The Get, the podcast for enterprise leaders delivering timely insights for today's global economy and tomorrow's competitive advantage. I'm your host, Chris Kane, president of the Center for Global Enterprise. And today we sit down with Shelley Lazarus, chairman emeritus of Ogilvy, and John Awada, executive fellow at the Yale School of Management and former IBM senior vice president and chief brand officer to discuss managing brand identity and strategy when driven by global events. It seems we have an unprecedented number of companies that have supported economic sanctions against Russia in response to the invasion of Ukraine. In several cases, companies going beyond what the sanctions actually call for. While companies have been sensitive to environmental, social, and governance issues, or ESG, in the past, they typically have taken positions that have not hurt their profits. That has changed. And do we now have a public that expects global brands to do more than the traditional ESG moves? Are we entering a new era of corporate responsibility? Shelley, can we begin with you and get your thoughts and then John? Well, I think the simple answer, Chris, is yes, we are. I recently came across a statistic that reported that almost 40% of consumers are boycotting at least one product or service based on what they believe the company's or brand's point of view is. All CEOs say their companies are market-driven. The market is speaking, and they're saying the consumers care. I think what happened in Ukraine is interesting in that this was almost an easy one because it was so blatant. It was an unprovoked attack on a nation. There's real evidence of war crimes. I think companies came forward and pulled out beyond sanctions. The only question now is, does the public think that these companies are doing enough? We're in a new time. I think if for no other reason, the internal audience, the employees of companies are demanding that their companies take a stand, that they express a point of view. And I just think there's no choice anymore. We are in an era where everyone is paying attention to what companies are doing beyond just the profits that they produce. It's, it's really a good start with this topic, Shelley. Thank you very much. The, the concept of everybody paying attention is something we'll come back to in a second. But John, your thoughts? I heard somebody say uh, recently with regard to this topic, don't confuse the new with the rare. I think what is new here is what Shelley was mentioning. The expectations, I would broaden it to all stakeholders. I think there has been a generational shift here. So whether they are putting on the hat of consumer or the hat of institutional investor or potential employee or citizen, they do expect different things, perhaps more advanced things of the companies they choose to work for and uh, buy from and invest in and so forth. Companies have to respond to this in order to compete, compete for talent, compete for business, et cetera. In my perspective, as you mentioned, is with IBM for 35 years. And in our history, I would say this is not new. The idea of a company not only taking positions, but doing something about its business operations, its policies, based on its values, based on its beliefs, is not new. And in that regard, it may be rare today. And a whole new generation of CEOs are beginning to realize that is now part of the job. Shelley, you raised the point about everybody's paying attention. 
internal workforces have always been paying attention to what their companies have been doing, but they've generally gotten their information from the company itself. And I, I think you both have tremendous insights and experience on, on how leaders of companies, CEOs and others communicated with their workforce, whether that workforce was domestic or global. And yet today's world, everybody's paying attention because they have so many different avenues of information. Could we talk a little bit about the pressure and the changed environment on CEOs and enterprise leaders for knowing that their decisions are transparent in many different ways from many different sources, and therefore their company's workforce has different ways to determine what their company is doing and how comfortable they feel with it. John, to your point about values, maybe being able to interpret values the way they want to, being influenced by outside resources of information flows. But any thoughts on both the internal connected workforce and the concept that Shelley has put on the table, which is everybody's paying attention? You mentioned transparency, Chris. I mean, it, everything may seem to be transparent, but everything isn't necessarily accurate. That doesn't stop people from having the conversation. It used to be that the leadership of an organization would communicate to uh, the people, tell them what was going on, and it was accepted. There'd be Q&A and people would go back to work. These days, people are in constant communication about what's going on, and it's instantaneous. You better participate because it, it's happening around you, through you, and being sure that people are getting the information that you want them to have is critical. Back to Ukraine and Russia. I think, John, you're at Yale now. I know Jeff Sonnenfeld just sent, contacted people in Russia to actually authenticate whether brands who said they were stopping doing business in Russia were actually still present on the shelves and in the lives of the people in Russia. And that happened like in a three-day period of people going out there and commenting on, I still see this product on shelves. This is this product is still available. And companies are being held to account in ways they probably can't even control because we all know how long it takes to get from the purchase through the supply chain to the actual shelf. And here we have people who are commenting in real time on promises that have been made by companies. I just think it's the way the world is. And it makes some people crazy. But you can't deny reality. And my feeling is always, you better get into the conversation with everybody because it's going on around you. What I would add to that is it's, it's not just the information that shapes the beliefs and perceptions of the stakeholders we care about. It's their ability to use social media and use the new platforms to their advantage in mobilizing and activating support for their views. Look, the fact that companies have had special interest groups or uh, factions of the workforce who are trying to get management to pay attention to them and do something is not new. What is new is the fact that their ability to draw so much more attention, to get so many other people to join them, to amplify their voice, to sign on, to do things is new. And in that regard, a lot of CEOs are ill-prepared to understand these new forces that command their attention. How far does the CEO have to go in order to satisfy the stakeholders who are paying attention to the company and the company's role in, in societal trends, and in this case, geopolitical trends? It used to be that 
a company could take an action and the action could be measured and the measure would be considered good enough. But it seems today that we have companies who are being asked to take stronger and stronger positions. And I would think from a management perspective, calibrating how much is enough or where do the, where do the parameters of the right position start and stop is an interesting leadership conversation. Strong positions, are they going to be required by external stakeholders in a way that they haven't been required in the past? I'm not sure that they haven't been required. The ability for a group of employees to express how they feel has gotten much more sophisticated and powerful. You just have to look at Disney. I don't know what actually went on within the company, but you had this feeling that you had this group of employees that were just pushing and pushing the CEO to come out and make a statement to the point where his judgment, I guess, was that he had to do that or he would lose the trust and belief of his employees, but with enormous consequence. And so to me, in the, the current world, that is a great example of being pushed to the point where you have to make a decision because the employees or one of your constituents feels so strongly about something that if you fail to do, you're going to lose their trust and belief in you. And so what's the impact of that on the brand, right? Shelley, you have worked your entire career in brands and the importance of creating a brand identity and being consistent with that identity that you choose to create. And can your brand identity get away from you when you end up in situations like Disney, which you've just described? I think it can. For sure, it has had an impact on the brand. It was in the news, top of mind. The trick is to be able to walk the line, to be able to come out at a point where people are nodding with you that, of course, this is the right thing to do. But it's really hard when you have the kinds of issues that are confronting the world today where CEOs are expected to take a stance. That's one where I would guess it got away from them a bit, and their brand is seriously impacted by what they did. John, thoughts? I think part of this is consistency and authenticity. My understanding of the Disney situation very early on was that the new CEO departed from prior practice in deciding explicitly not to speak out either as a CEO or as a brand on particular subjects. And because this was not consistent with what stakeholders, let's start with their employees, were used to, this didn't seem right. And I think that's a factor here, this idea of whatever you stand for as a brand, as a company, are you consistent in talking about it, in what you say, most importantly, in what you do? You think about brands like Nike and Colin Kaepernick. You think about brands like Chick-fil-A. These are brands uh, that are not neutral. And whether you like them or not, whether you support them or not, do you know what they stand for? And do they consistently behave in a way that reflects their values and reflects their point of view? I think where brands really get themselves crosswise is when they don't have a point of view, they don't have values, at least values that they take seriously in their decision-making, in their practices and policies. So consistency and authenticity are two guiding principles for sure. Just to add to John's point, I think the most challenging thing for CEOs now is trying to figure out which topics, subjects are appropriate 
for them to have a point of view because you do see these sort of flat-footed examples of companies that sort of had nothing to do with a particular subject or no connection to it who all of a sudden pop out and make a statement about Black Lives Matter or some other topic that they haven't been connected to in any way. But I'll give you another example from right at this moment is I'm on the board of Organon, which is a, a pharmaceutical company that is focused on women's health. And so when the Supreme Court opinion was leaked, they felt a need because of what they do and what they stand for. The CEO felt a need to come out and make a statement in support of women's ability to manage their own health and wellness. And I don't think it would have been appropriate for any number of companies to, to necessarily come out with a statement about Roe v. Wade. But when your whole reason for being is tied to women's health, I think it's completely appropriate and you have to come out with a statement on that topic when that topic is raised. Part of the Yale work I'm, I'm doing on the how of stakeholder capitalism, talk to a lot of CEOs on this very question, Chris, and they say they don't have a very good mechanism in place, process, method, framework, or even philosophy. I asked them, how do you decide today? And they said, it's not good. Either we react because the pressure builds or the voices get loud, or some member of the executive committee pounds their fist on the table because they personally feel something needs to be done or not, or the CEO decides because of their own worldview and their own values. Ultimately, it's a question of uh, materiality. Materiality by its nature is judgment of relevance and significance. It's not a rule. And what's material to the company? the company's business, the company's risks, what's material to the stakeholders who matter to the company. David Kenny came to Yale last week, was asked this question by the MBA students, and David said, on certain issues, it's clearly material to Nielsen, his company, because they stand for trusted data representative of America. And on the census controversy on voter access, they clearly feel this is material and they will speak out and uh, take very strong stands and file court briefs and everything else. But on a whole range of other issues, including the Supreme Court leak on abortion, which happened the same week that David went to Yale, he said, this is a matter for employees between Nielsen and employees. And we will likely not say something publicly because it's not material to Nielsen's business model. And the MBA students, for what it's worth, seem to accept that as a very reasonable approach. Yeah, I think the scope that a CEO has to make those judgments around geographically as well as topically, it's just becoming increasingly more complicated and more complex. Let's take, for example, the things we've been talking about with Disney in Florida and Roe v. Wade, clearly impending emerging issues in the United States. But what is the responsibility of a global company where you're operating across the globe? And we have existential challenges such as climate change and the protection of the Amazon rainforest. How far does one have to go in order to be true to the values, be authentic, be consistent with something that is as relevant to everybody in the world as that, yet as geographically targeted as being maybe outside your corporate headquarters country? The functional expertise that needs to exist to have a management model for those kinds of decisions, John, as you've just alluded to in your questions to CEOs, do those corporate 
models, management models exist today from your perspective? Do companies have a new management model from which to deal with this both expansive global environment of issues, but then also the speed at which and the calibration of which to know when to engage and when not? I'd say not at all. I, John's characterization of how most companies, global and not, are operating these days is completely consistent with my own experience. I, I think we're in a new time, and I think figuring out how we're going to you know, navigate through these issues. Uh, I think to another point John made before, the most important thing is consistent. You may be able to interpret and have some local issues that you that you have to deal with, but there should be, uh, if you're a global company, there needs to be a global set of values and beliefs that everyone buys into and focuses on. I can't think of the number of times that a global company has gotten in trouble because some local person has made a statement, again, back to social media, where we're all on all the time and everybody's reading what everybody says. When someone in a particular country, a particular person in a particular country says something that just is inconsistent with what everyone believes the company stands for, or it, or it takes a position that uh, is uncomfortable for other people in the world, I think the way to deal with it is back to the question you asked, Chris, which is, do we have a, a process in place? Do we have a system? How are we going to handle it? Who's going to decide? And I think these are questions that have yet to be answered in most companies that I know. CGE was founded on the principle of trying to help CEOs move to the future and have management best practices for operating in a global economy. John, if you had to think about the expertise that would be required to stand up a function inside an enterprise to deal with this accelerating and expanding rubric that a CEO has to deal with regarding societal issues and brand values and company positions, what would be the skill set that you would go out and find to populate a new function within your company to, to address that? Well, I've been asking them that. <laughs> then the list is a combination of soft skills and hard skills. On the soft skill side, the words empathy, active listening comes up a lot. On the hard skill side, I, I, I hear a lot about creative problem framing, creative problem solving, because they see this as CEOs like to solve problems, but often the problem comes by stakeholder. So you have customer and then you have employee, you have government regulators and so forth. And we're well organized to deal with stakeholders, but when they come together and often conflicting interests, we aren't organized in a way that is helpful here. And we're not used to doing that in a cross multi-stakeholder world. So bringing together, maybe you can't expect one person to possess all of these skills, but you can commission a team, you can assemble a team that doesn't just play defense, meaning look out and what are issues can bite us hard and work out our position statements. They could certainly do that. But a team that also thinks about the differentiation of the company and the brand, the unique capabilities of the company, the competitive advantages, the comparative advantages, its history, its values, and looks for places to lead. I will just give a few examples here. Apple could have been playing defense on privacy and data because they can't evade that. They can't deselect that as an issue. They could play defense. Let's lobby, let's take positions, let's fight regulation. But whatever motivated them, it certainly does appear that they found a space that serves many stakeholders' interests, 
And they are doing more than issuing a statement. They are rallying their platform, their brand, their ecosystem, their influence to take a leadership position in an area, data and privacy. And I think a team that understands stakeholder interests, that frames problems differently and solves them creatively, I think a lot of CEOs said, that's what we need. I want to thank you both for sharing your insights and, and your experience with us. At the end of our program, we like to give our listeners some strategic insights to think about. We call it our emerging critical issues last minute. And so let me ask you both in one word or one phrase to tell us what emerging issue do you see on the horizon that a CEO needs to put on their radar? Algorithmic safety. Everyone's used by now to data and privacy and cyber attacks. And because of everything we've gone through in the past 25 years with the collection of personal data and what can go wrong with that, also the benefits of it. And then there's AI and people jump right to the future and have these fears about sentience and Skynet and destruction of all jobs. I would say there's something much nearer term here that represents a real opportunity for, for business and societal value, but also a lot of problems, a lot of threat to trust, a lot of harm, and that is algorithmic safety. So all of these algorithms that are taking advantage of all that data, they are determining who gets hired, who gets the interview, who gets the credit score, who gets the offer, who gets into the university. All of these things are being determined not by some futuristic AI, it's being determined by algorithms. And CEOs, if they're not on top of this, they will be in about 20 minutes. Shelley? I would say the nature of work broadly. I think the conversation about where we're gonna work, how we're gonna work, what the what we're going to do as we work. We are at the very beginning of that conversation. I think one thing that COVID has certainly done is opened everyone's minds to what it actually means to go to work. And I think the divide between older people and Gen Z is huge. One thing I'm pretty sure of, there are not going to be a lot of people in the office on Fridays anywhere. But where we go from there, I think, is going to be a critical conversation. I, I've heard young people say that they never want to come to the office and they don't know why they have to. And so if Facebook's going to give them the opportunity to work remotely all the time, then they're going to go with Facebook. Now, that's an extreme example. But I think dealing with this topic, it's the topic for today. It's the topic for six months from now. And I suspect it will still be the topic for five years from now. There you go. Our final minute, algorithmic safety and the nature of work, the collision between the two. Pay attention if you're a business leader. The GET is sponsored by the Center for Global Enterprise, celebrating 10 years of convening global enterprise leaders around the most important business transformation issues. All production and marketing for The Get is provided by Sandow Design Group. Our theme music is by Desi Funlove, available on Spotify. The Get is available wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information about the Center for Global Enterprise, go to www.thecge.net. And thank you for listening.